0: Well, we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that passage that uh, Joy read for us. Uh, It's on page uh, 1153 of our church Bibles, if you wish to follow. It really is all about love. This is one of the most beloved passages in the Bible. It's uh, the favourite at weddings, And I also think it makes a great passage for a Christian funeral. I'd love to ask you to consider choosing it for your funeral, but I'm not quite sure how that sounds. The the chapter speaks firstly of the necessity of love, verses one to three. Without love, Paul says, the greatest speaker is a noisy gong, You speak eloquently, you write with flair, but if love is not controlling controlling your words, you are just noise. Without love, the most spiritually powerful man or woman who can make astonishing things happen, who has deep knowledge, is nothing. It's a bit of a wake-up call. You can be very spiritual, even have spiritual power, and still be lost. Without love, you can give away everything, subject yourself to strict spiritual disciplines, suffer the most terrible ordeals, and it will all be for nothing. In other words, if we want our speech to matter, to ring with beauty and truth and harmony, to declare what is from eternity... To change lives for eternity, we need to be controlled by love. And if you wish to be somebody, not just somebody here and now, but somebody in eternity, we need love. If we wish to win everyone for Christ, to gain everything, we need to be set on fire by love. And these verses then secondly speak of the beauty of love. Verses 4 to 7. Now these verses do not describe love. Instead, I see these verses as being a description of one of the many stunning dresses or robes that love wears. They're in love's wardrobe. It is a dress, like all the dresses, which reflects the innermost being of love. But it is not, if you forgive the analogy, a description of naked love. Naked love is something that cannot be described. It is beyond words. If we could describe love, we could describe God. The early Christian thinkers spent much time reflecting on love. Augustine speaks of love as the utter delight in the other. And that love is driven by the desire to be one with the other in complete harmony with them. God, in choosing to create you and me, chose to create someone in whom he has utter delight. When Jesus was baptized, God looks at his son, now become a human being. And God says, This is my son, my beloved, in whom I delight. Love as delight and desire. Well, that's rather philosophical. Paul in Corinthians is far more practical. If you notice this magnificent list, uh, uh, describing this dress of love in verses 4 to 7 contains more negatives than positives. It tells us what it isn't as well as what it is. So love is patient Love gives people time to become. It doesn't demand perfection immediately. Love is kind. Morality can be very harsh. One thinks of civil morality today. The current political correct health and safety morality, which although it comes from the very, very best of motives, Can become very unforgiving. Even Christian morality can come over with a fierce harshness. And kindness is the opposite of harshness. It's about gentleness, gratuitous goodness. It's about going beyond what should or ought to be done. It shows mercy and does good to the undeserving. And love does not envy. It does not look at others and wish to be like them. There was a great deal of spiritual gift envy in the Corinthian church. He can speak in tongues. She can pray and people are healed. She speaks in an astonishingly powerful way. I I want to be like them. Love does not boast. That's the flip side of envy. It doesn't think too highly of itself. It doesn't look down on others. It's not arrogant or rude. When we're proud or envious, we begin to treat people like things and not like people. We treat them as if they do not matter. Love does not insist on its own way. Oh, we're getting a bit close to the bone here for me. People must do things my way. One, one of the big lessons I am having to learn is to let go and let people do things their way. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, now we're coming even closer to the bone. I wish I could say that I am visibly growing in grace and love in these areas that I am becoming less irritable and less resentful. But I am not sure that is true. I think as I grow older, this will be one of the real battles that I will need to face. So, for instance, I'm left behind tidying up after everyone has left, and I resent it. I'm taken for granted, and I resent it. I seem to be passed over, and I resent it. And there is a danger, my brothers and sisters, that as we grow older, we can become more irritable, a glom or a glow, a grumpy little old man or a grumpy little old woman. And love hates, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. When a person who is filled with love sees what is wrong, what is destructive and hateful, what turns another person into an object and uses them to satisfy me, when love sees people in slavery to sin and destructive habits or thought patterns, it hates it. And the opposite, love rejoices in the truth. I think those five words are key to our understanding of love here. In that phrase, we get a tiny glimpse of naked love. Love rejoices. It's about delight in what is true. What is true is about what is real. Love delights in what is ultimately real. In God, in God's world, in each person made in the image of God. Love rejoices in the word of God. Oh, how I love your word, says the psalmist. Love is gripped by the promises and commands of God. Why? Because they are true. And love delights in truth in here, in deep authenticity, integrity and honesty. And that makes sense of the next verse, and I'm quoting from the New Revised Standard version here, which I think is more faithful and accurate to the Greek. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, well, at one level, love doesn't believe all things. Love doesn't believe that this world rests on the back of a tortoise tortoise who stands on another tortoise, who stands on another tortoise, who stands on the back of an elephant, Love doesn't believe that if you throw yourself out of a third-floor story, you'll fly. But love does believe. Love does hope in all things that are true. The person who loves does believe all things and hope all things that are there in the word of God. The person who loves is prepared to bear all things, insults and ridicule. The loss of all things, imprisonment, torture and death and is prepared to endure all things for the sake of the promises of God, for the sake of the hope of the inclusion of all people in the embrace of God, and for the hope of the presence and glory of God. Jesus, we are told, endured the shame of the cross for the sake of the joy set before him, the joy of love. And thirdly, this passage speaks of the victory of love. Love never ends. Our speech about God, our prophecy, our knowledge is partial. That's obvious. We're like five-year-olds trying to understand and explain the theory of Relativity although in my case, we're like a 53-year-old trying to explain and understand the theory of relativity. We're lo- it's like looking at the ultimate reality through frosted glass. We can make out shapes and colours, but it's all blurred. But, and this is why 1 Corinthians 13 makes a great text for a funeral, on the day when we finally see him, there will be no longer any need for speech. Nobody will need to tell us that love is the great command because we will see complete truth and utter beauty. We will see one who is himself absolute love. There is an astonishing line here, which it is very easy to miss. We're told that on that day... I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. God knows you. He knows you more than you know yourself. He knows the good and the bad, the desires and the motives. And even though he hates that which is evil, that which destroys his likeness, his love in you, he still loves you. He delights in you, and he desires that you would be at one with him. And as we on that day finally see naked love, we will either have become so small and bitter and twisted and self-focused that we will hate him and we will try to hide from him like bugs running from the daylight under a stone, or we will love him. We will see him and it will be like an explosion of joy. Peter speaks of an indescribable and glorious joy. We will delight in him and in all he has made and we will be at one with him. That is then. What about the now? How do I become more loving? How do I allow the love of God to grip me and control me and fill me? Two things. Firstly, seek God and pursue love. That's 1 Corinthians 14.1. It's helpful to make a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. Paul has spoken of some of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Some have one gift others have another. But the fruits are different. The fruits are what should be expected in the life of every Christian. The seed of the Spirit is there in the heart of the believer and the fruit grows out of that seed. If there's no evidence of the fruits growing, says Jesus, then we have to question whether that seed is really there in the first place. Some of the fruits are listed in Galatians 5.22, and the principal fruit is the fruit of love. Love is what holds us all together with our different gifts. If I love another, I will not be envious of their gift. If I love, I will use my gift to serve and honour them. And like fruit that grows on a tree... Love will grow in the life of a person who desires God, longs for God, has given themselves to God, who asks God to fill them with his spirit and his love. Please don't despair if you think you are becoming less loving. I suspect it is par for the course. It probably means you are becoming more honest and beginning to realize how far you need to go. Think of a fruit tree, the tiny bud appears, and then comes the blossom. It looks stunning. You might think this is what it's all about. I have made it, but try eating the blossom. Well, actually don't, because the blossom then goes, the bud remains in slightly new form, but it seems to do nothing. And then the fruit begins to grow. The bud of love will grow in the person who desires God above all things and who pursues love. Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And secondly, put your hope in the fact that one day you will see Jesus and you will be filled with his love John writes, when he, Jesus, is revealed on that final day, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. When we look at perfect love, we will be filled with love. But it's not just for then. John continues, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. I don't understand how it works, but it does work. The simple hope that one day we will see Jesus and become like him, filled with love. The simple hope of that means that here and now we grow in love. So there is faith and there is hope and there is love. And the greatest of these is love.